Well, the scripture we're looking at here today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. So if you wanted to follow along, that's Matthew 5, 10 through 12. The scripture says here, Blessed are you, oh, excuse me, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kind of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, just opening up uh, this verse here, uh, this is the last of uh, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is called the Beatitudes or the Blessings that Jesus is giving. And, and what he's doing here is he's saying, uh, blessed are you when you do this, and this is the reward that God is going to bless you with. And these are character traits, these are principles that we live by, and we can only live by it through the power of God. So this is God working in us to accomplish these traits, uh, these character traits, and not only is he working in us to accomplish these character traits, but then he's also the one blessing us uh, when we do this. So this is God working through us and then blessing us with an outcome. And I got to say this about this last one here. This has got to be the hardest. I don't know about you, but I, I look through some of those that Jesus first gives and, and being gentle. I, now, I did just find this out. My uh, kids said that when I work on the car, I get cranky. But that's the car. Generally speaking, I like to think of myself as a gentle person. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who are gentle, I'm like, hey, not a problem. I, I can accomplish that. Blessed are those who are merciful. I think I'm a pretty merciful guy. That, that seems fairly easy for, for God to work that through me in my life. But then I get down to, uh, blessed are you uh, when you're persecuted, when you're insulted, when you're lied about. And I go, oh, man. That's a tough one. And especially when, when you look at Christian history and you hear about the amount of persecution that Christians have gone through uh, from the time Jesus ascended into heaven until now. I mean, you look all the way back to that first few centuries where Christianity was still fairly small and, and the kinds of stories that come out are just absolutely incredible. I mean, you have a guy like Polycarp uh, who, who was only a second-generation Christian, and, and when he was arrested, um, they told him to recant or, or to, uh, to deny the faith. And he says in front of the, his accusers, the people that are going to kill him, he says, the Lord my God has taken care of me for 87 years and has done me no harm. Why should I deny him this day? And then when they took him out to burn him at the stake, they would usually tie them down to the stake. And he said, don't tie me down, for the same Lord that brought me here today will give me the strength to endure the flames. I mean, you hear a story like that and you're just blown away. And then, and then you hear stories like of uh, uh, one of my favorite stories is, 
is an early Christian named Perpetua who was in prison and refused to deny the faith. And when it came time for her to be persecuted in the Colosseum, she had a dream that she was fighting with the devil and she, she took the devil in her hands and squished him and then the Lord gave her a crown of victory and she writes in her diary the next day as she, or a letter that she sends to her church. She writes down, I know this dream means that I'm going to die in the stadium tomorrow but I'll receive the crown of glory in heaven. I mean, you hear these stories about persecution and then you read Jesus' words that say, blessed are you who go through this. I mean, you hear a story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, who kept his church going. Even though Hitler was in power and was shutting down all of the churches, he kept his church going in secret and then he had a chance to escape. He comes to America and as the story goes, he's walking by the Statue of Liberty and he's reminded of all that God had done for his people throughout Scripture and he says to himself, I can't be the only one that's safe there. I need to go back with my church. So after he sneaks out of Germany, he sneaks back into Germany to be with his church. And they capture him and kill him. And as he leaves the prison cell for his execution, he says, uh, he says I go to my death, but for me, it is only the beginning of life. So you hear these stories of persecution and you're just blown away as a Christian as to what the church has gone through and is still going through throughout the world. And we sit back and we hear Jesus' words that not only are we called to endure persecution, but we're called to rejoice in it. So these are the words that he gives his, his followers here today. And the first thing to note about this is he says the word persecution, but it's specific. It's specific for the Christian community. He is speaking to all Christians that believe in his name. So the calling here is, if you are a Christian and you suffer any kind of persecution from the world, you are blessed. Now, there are other religious groups that are being persecuted in the world, but the point here is being, are you being persecuted for the name of God? Are you being persecuted for Jesus Christ? And then the second specific detail that he gives is, are you being persecuted for righteousness? So not only are you calling yourself a Christian, and that's why you're enduring persecution or going through it, but also, are you going through it uh, because of righteousness? I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. Uh, last week, uh, a store opened up across the street, hy and my wife and I just naively thought, Oh, we'll just run right into Hyvie and see what all the fuss is about. Never plan to just run into a store that's a grand opening. And never plan to take a left hand turn in or out of that store. And so there was a, there were the rest of the, the Beatitudes were at work in my life in that moment. Okay, be gentle, be merciful. Okay, okay. But then I thought, well, blessed are those that mourn, and I'm really mourning this decision right now. But, you know, you go in, and there's a lot of chaos, and there's a lot of difficulties, and, and there is the temptation to lose patience, and there's the temptation to be upset with one another, and there's the temptation uh, to be difficult with other people. Let me throw that, this out. That is not the persecution that Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about a difficult life, 
He's not talking about suffering that you may be going through. He's very specific that this is persecution that you go through for righteousness' sake. So when you are living out his name and somebody sees it and doesn't like it, that is the persecution that God is calling us into. So what are the types of persecution that, that Jesus is saying we will endure as Christians? Well, the first one is just that very word, persecute. And if you see that word persecute and how it's used throughout the scripture, what it means is when somebody goes after you. So when this word is being used, it means that somebody is specifically seeking you out or somebody is specifically seeking out the Christian name. We see this happen in church history just in that first century. We see it in the book of Acts where, where the Christians are pouring into the street and the apostles are proclaiming the gospel and, and people are being saved. Uh, numbers are being added daily to the church and, and it's the religious leaders in the city of Jerusalem that don't like this and so they specifically seek out the Christian community. So this word persecute is not just Somebody finds out that you're a Christian and so attacks you, but it's also they're looking for that specific Christian that they want to go after. They're looking at the Christians who have caused all the problems in their life. They're looking at Christians that they say are the enemies in their life. This is the kind of persecution that Jesus warns us about and the kind of persecution that he's calling us into so that we would be living such a Christian life overtly on the outside that others would see it and essentially be offended by it. That others would see our Christian faith and want to come after us for it. You know, being put in a position where we have to defend ourselves, where we have to be able to make a proclamation as to who God is. So Jesus is using this word, persecute, so this is somebody who's specifically going after you. The next word that he uses is to insult. This word is really interesting in how it's used throughout Scripture in the Old and New Testament. Um, on the one hand, it is to defame. Okay, So on the one hand, it is to defame somebody or, or to try to get their reputation uh, down. So, so this is, they'll call you names, they'll say lies about you, they'll say anything negative about the Christian community in general or you specifically as a Christian. But what this word is also used as is physical harm. And I found that really interesting because the word is insult, and so I immediately think of like name-calling, but then the definition of this word is to kick one's teeth in. That hurts a little bit more than name-calling. I know name-calling can hurt from time to time, but this one is specifically used when there is a physical attack against us. And so as a Christian community, we're prepared for that, or at least we should be, that not only would people come after us, not only would people seek out the Christian community, and not only would they say bad things about the Christian community and insult the Christians, but then also that there is physical harm uh, done towards the believers in Jesus Christ. And again, we see this early on in the Christian community. As you go through the Roman emperors that hear more and more about the Christians, you have one of the worst ones, which was Nero, who was said to have set Rome on fire and then blamed the Christians for it. Uh, he was one that specifically went after the Christian community and would specifically kill the Christian community. 
And we see this not only uh, 2,000 years ago, but we actually even see this today in the world. You go to some countries in the Middle East, and it is illegal to convert to Christianity. We met some friends in Austria when we were on a missions trip that fled from Iran, and the reason they fled was because they became Christians, and they knew if anybody found out, they would be forced to either deny the faith or face jail time, and more likely than not, death. So this is still occurring throughout the world where people are seeking out the Christians, seeking to insult them, and seeking physical harm. And then the last uh, uh, point that's made that Jesus says that, that will happen is when those uh, will lie about you or falsely accuse you. Now, this is obvious uh, because it is to utter an untruth or an attempt to deceive. And so this really goes both ways. When, when this word is being used, it's on the one hand when, when those who know the truth will lie about it. So when those who know what Christians' lives are like and will lie about it, so this is like the Emperor Nero who knew that he set the fire to Rome and then lied about it and said it was the Christians. But then there's also just a simply utter an untruth which includes rumors and gossip which has been done against the Christians. So this has been claims that the Christians are out to divide the world, that the Christians are out to hurt other people, that Christians are out uh, to speak evil of others. Uh, These are lies that people will get, and I think especially in America today, there is this lie that's been going around that says the church is not loving to its neighbor because we oppose some actions. Well, that's what Christ has called us to do. He's called us to live a moral life. He's called us to teach moral truth. But what's going on outside the church is people are hearing about the Christians and they're hearing the bad reputation that says, I wouldn't go to that church. They don't love you unless you're just like them. And so what do we do with that as Christians now? It's very simple. We live such a life that it challenges that untruth or that lie that others are hearing. Uh, We have a calling to be bold enough to not only proclaim that we're Christian, but to proclaim it to people that think that Christians are bad. We have an obligation as Christians to correct the lies that are in our community. just Just like persecution is seeking out Christians, we need to be Christians that seek out those areas to correct them and to proclaim the love of God and be able to say, My church is amazing. I don't know about you, but that's the easiest statement I've ever had to say, that the Christians I know are loving people and would accept anybody. But we've got to be able to say that for others to hear it. So this is the persecution that we face as Christians, those that would seek us out, those that would defame us, and those that would lie about us. Now, what happens when this occurs in our life? What happens when we run into this? Well, Jesus says there's, there's a few things that we do. First of all, uh, he says you are in good company because they used to do this to the prophets in the Old Testament. So uh, uh, he says to rejoice and be glad. He says the prophets have gone through this. This is in Second Chronicles. At the end of Second Chronicles, as, as Jerusalem is falling, as God's people are being taken captive, What's said is, but they continually mock the messengers of God. 
I can't read that up there. <laughs> but they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets. So when Jesus said, well, first of all, I should stop for a moment and point out, Jesus doesn't tell us to endure persecution. And he doesn't say to just wait it out. And he doesn't say, uh, don't be complainers. Okay, so that's one area. Like, if we were going through persecution and Jesus just said, endure it, see if you can get through it, he actually says the opposite. He says, rejoice and be glad. Let's wait a moment. Did you just hear all of the stories that I just said? And we're supposed to rejoice and be glad when that happens to us. when, When we're lied about, When we're attacked, when we hear about churches that are undergoing persecution in other countries, we actually take pause and and we're supposed to regard it as a blessing. And Jesus says it's a blessing because in the same way God sent Israel, the prophets, to proclaim the truth and they were mocked and, and, and not believed. So when we live out the Christian life and we're lied about and we're insulted and people seek us out, that's actually a sign that we're being prophetic in the world. So Jesus says you're actually doing the right thing when the enemy attacks you. You're actually living out the Christian life. So rejoice and be glad. You're just like the prophets uh, of old that God sent and did his work. And we see further evidence of this in Acts chapter 5. The apostles are, are preaching the word of God. And in Acts chapter 5, so what happens really quick, and we'll cover the rest, a uh, little bit more of this verse in a little bit, but what happens is the apostles are proclaiming the faith, converts are being made, and the religious leaders don't like it, and so they arrest the apostles. And then after they arrest them, they basically say, well, we have nothing to hold them for. We have to let them go. But why don't we scourge them first? Why don't we beat them? And maybe then they'll be discouraged. So if we beat them almost to death, they'll leave and they'll be afraid to preach the gospel anymore. And so they do that to the apostles. And what happens, it says the apostles were rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name, Jesus' name. So when this happens to the apostles, when they're sought out, when they're lied against, when their teeth are kicked in or or they're physically harmed, they praise God. They say, we're in good company. We're doing the work that God has called us to do. We're just like the prophets of the Old Testament. We're proclaiming the truth, and we now have evidence of this because those who don't like the truth are trying to stop us. So there is this calling to rejoice and be glad when those who aren't Christian are going after us. And then we have another story here. It's not of Scripture, but it's of an early Christian in the second century. His name was Ignatius. And and he was a church leader over a few churches. And he was being led uh, to his persecution, to his death. And other Christians found out about it. And they were trying to put put together ways to break him out and let him go free. And he found out about this and he wrote them a letter and he said, don't free me. Don't come and try to get me out of prison. This is a testament that I've been doing God's work. He was legitimately afraid that if he was freed out of prison, people would think that maybe he was no longer a Christian. He wanted people around him to see the joy that he had in being persecuted for the faith. 
So we have all of these stories of persecution and rejoicing in persecution, but that itself comes with a reward. And Jesus says, this is your, your reward in heaven will be great, is how he puts it. So what are the rewards that Jesus promises us when we go through and rejoice in persecution? Well, the first one is, simply put, uh, being in heaven with God and suffering like Jesus on earth is itself a reward. So as we look at this, uh, we're looking, can you go to the next point too, please? Oh, ah, that's not up there. You, you can take it back. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, so in, in this one here, it's very simple that, that the, the point being is that when we suffer for the faith and we don't deny the faith, and if we die in that, Jesus says heaven itself is our reward. We will go to heaven and we will be with Jesus. And not only that, the suffering that we're going through is what Jesus went through on the cross. Think about that for a moment. Jesus died for us so that we wouldn't have to die. And when Jesus died for us and was raised from the dead, he gave us power over death itself. So that if we're persecuted, we're going through the same persecution that Jesus went through and the early Christians saw that as a testament that God has chosen. They, they saw it as, as a blessing itself that God has chosen me to suffer just like Jesus, just like his son. So the suffering itself is a reward. And not only that, when you suffer and die because of being a Christian, you're brought into heaven. You get to be with the Father. The second point is that there's a judgment on evil that we will see in heaven. So when we die and, and we go to heaven, we will be able to see when God finally brings full judgment on evil, on Satan, on the evil one, on those who have done evil to the Christians, we will see God bring full judgment back to those people. We see this back in Psalm chapter 58. When the psalmist, they believe is David, is writing this psalm, and he makes the point, he says, the, the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance, and men will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous, surely there is a God who judges on earth. And so we're looking ahead to that day where there's not going to be any more evil. There's not going to be any more uh, evil that, that is persecuting Christians. The enemy is going to be bound. The enemy is going to be cast into the lake of fire. He's no longer going to seek us out as Christians. We get to witness that in heaven. We get to witness that at the end of time. So that's one of the rewards that we have is that whatever we endure, God is going to bring judgment on those who have made us endure it. But there's a third point, and I think this is the one that, that in Jesus' ministry we really see uh, come full, and that is we get to see the repentance of the unbelievers that persecuted the Christians. How exciting do you think that'll be when you get to heaven and you see somebody that used to not be a believer, but they believed? How exciting would that be when you get to heaven and you see somebody that didn't believe in Jesus and maybe even persecuted the believers, but they repented? 
they walked away from that and started to follow Jesus. There's two examples of that that I have in Scripture. Uh, one of them is in, in Matthew, uh, at the end, when, when Jesus dies on the cross and, and nature is upturned, one of the centurions that nailed him up there. Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and things that were happening, became very frightened and said, truly this was the Son of God, Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four. The point being is that our persecution and our suffering can convert unbelievers. And when they convert unbelievers, we can see them in heaven. Isn't that a great reward? This is uh, the man I was telling you about, Ignatius, the second century Christian. That was his main point. He said, I'm afraid if you broke me out of prison that I wouldn't have a chance to die for Jesus and the people watching over me wouldn't have a chance to see what a true Christian can go through. The point being, he wanted to be a witness to those that were persecuting him with the hope that they would believe in Jesus just as he did, and he would see them in heaven. And we have one more example of this, uh, actually, with, with Paul, writer of most of the New Testament. If you look in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 8, 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. Uh, that is Stephen. Stephen was stoned because he was speaking about Jesus in the temple, and they took him out to stone him, and who's standing there but Saul? And it says Saul was giving hearty approval. He was approving Stephen's death. And then Saul put together a campaign to go to Damascus and seek out the Christians to kill them, and it was on the road to Damascus that Jesus met him. Imagine what that greeting would be like in heaven for Stephen to see Paul up there and know that it was Paul who gave approval to his death, but it was Paul who was converted and became a believer in Jesus Christ. So the calling we have as Christians is very important. We're called to live out the Christian life in such a way that others might be offended by it that others would hear the truth that we proclaim and, dare I say, maybe be a little upset. Maybe to the point that they would come after us. Now, that doesn't mean we instigate anything. I want to be clear there. We've got to be nice. That's very important. We proclaim the truth, but we do so in love. But we proclaim the truth in such a way that non-Christians would see us and maybe come maybe get into an argument with us. Maybe, maybe push us a little bit and ask us questions about our faith. Maybe, maybe to the point where they would be able to say some lies about the Christian faith that we would be able to correct. Wouldn't that be exciting? What, what an evangelism opportunity that we would be able to correct the lies that are said about the church, that we would be able to not only endure persecution, but that we would rejoice and be glad whenever we run into it, knowing that it's God who does this work within us, and it's God who gives us this blessing. Let's pray. God, thank you for everything that you've called us into, and especially, Lord, we thank you for those times that we can be pushed and challenged by those outside the church to give a reason for the hope that we have in you. Lord, we pray for more of those opportunities in this community. We pray for more of those opportunities that we would be able to proclaim the truth 
and others would hear it. And maybe others would want to know more about it. Lord, we pray not only for those opportunities, but we pray for the strength that you would give us in those opportunities to say the right thing, to live the right way, to rejoice and be glad in what you have called us to do. Amen.